Hello, this is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the February 2016 podcast. In our editor's choice paper, Marino Franco et al. report a comparative effectiveness study of rescue strategies in 1,000 subjects with severe hypoxemic respiratory failure. Extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, prone positioning, high-frequency oscillatory ventilation, and inhaled vasodilators were considered rescue strategies. None of the strategies individually or in combination had a significant association with hospital mortality after adjusting for covariates. Vasudevan suggests that, in the absence of high-quality evidence to support the effectiveness of rescue strategies, the decision to use them is a complex process made on a case-by-case basis. Gonzalez Pizarro and colleagues determined pneumothorax pressures in a model of healthy piglets under general anesthesia. Based on this model, the authors concluded that pneumothorax does not seem to occur in the clinically relevant inspiratory pressures of less than 50 centimeters of water. Bala and Khamenei comment that these data suggest that a recruitment maneuver should be well tolerated in mechanically ventilated newborns with normal lungs. However, it is important to note that these findings should not be applied to children with ARDS. Natalini et al. conducted a physiologic study to assess factors related to autopeep. The variable with the strongest effect on autopeep was flow limitation. Interestingly, breathing frequency, expiratory time, tidal volume, and minute ventilation were not independently associated with autopeep. Koo points out that the factors involved in the development of autopeep do not occur equally. Thus, it is important to prioritize and manage autopeep in patients receiving mechanical ventilation. The study by Bell and colleagues was to determine how well respiratory assessments for ventilated neonates and children correlated when performed simultaneously by two respiratory therapists, either face-to-face or via telemedicine. Telemedicine evaluations highly correlated with face-to-face for 10 out of 14 aspects of standard bedside respiratory assessment. Poor correlation was noted for more complex patient-generated parameters. Using a lung model simulating an extremely low birth weight neonate, Ivanov evaluated the impact of Y-piece and endotracheal tube connector pairs with reduced instrumental dead space on CO2 elimination. A reduction in instrumental dead space led to improvements in ventilation of the lung model. Negative effects on resistance and work of breathing appeared minimal. These data should be confirmed in humans. The objective of the study by Grezaleski et al. was to evaluate spirometry-based exhaled nitric oxide in children, adolescents, and young adults with asthma. They propose new lung function, lung inflammation ratios that may make it possible to diagnose asthma in children and adults on the basis of their spirometry and exhaled nitric oxide measurements. Menasean assessed predictors of pulmonary function impairment in adults with chronic heart failure according to the lower limit of normal in comparison to conventional cutoff values. 
They found that the lower limit of normal identifies more predictors of diffusion impairment and airway obstruction compared to conventional cutoff values in subjects with chronic heart failure and left ventricular systolic dysfunction. However, lowering the conventional cutoff points yielded similar results as the lower limit of normal. Inspiratory muscle strength and endurance in children and adolescents with cystic fibrosis was studied by Vendruscalo and colleagues. Children and adolescents with CF without colonization by Pseudomonas aeruginosa and normal lung function had increased inspiratory muscle strength and decreased endurance compared to healthy individuals. Strength was related to pulmonary function parameters, while endurance was associated with airways resistance. The objective of the study by Flores et al. was to evaluate clinical outcomes and prognostic factors in a cohort of adult subjects with CF after seven-year follow-up and to evaluate changes in clinical scores, spirometry, six-minute walk test performance, and pulmonary artery systolic pressure as estimated by Doppler echocardiography. Poor outcomes were reported in 20% of subjects. Pulmonary artery pressure greater than or equal to 42 millimeters of mercury and FEV1 less than or equal to 30% were the most significant prognostic predictors of poor outcomes. Aristoy et al. evaluated the relationship between obstructive sleep apnea and myeloperoxidase activity, the oxidative stress index, and total oxidative capacity. There were no differences in study parameters between control and OSA groups. The study by Senataglu et al. evaluated oxidative damage in COPD, lung cancer, and OSA. Oxidative damage was observed in all three diagnoses. As a response to oxidative stress, antioxidant mechanisms were also active in these diseases. Valenza and colleagues analyzed the predictive power and identified the cutoffs of physical activity in their different domains, such as household, leisure time, and sport, for the absence of frailty in acute and stable COPD. They found that physical activity predicted the absence or presence of frailty in subjects with either stable or acute COPD. The purpose of the study by Wang et al. was to assess the count scale number for translation of exercise test response to training intensity. For count scale number, subjects inhaled maximally and then counted from one to the maximum number they could reach in one breath while exhaling. They found that exercise guided by the count scale number alone could result in a given heart rate response, suggesting that the count scale number is a simple and practical tool in translating exercise test results into individualized training intensity. Using count scale number as the intensity indicator, patients may be able to exercise safely and effectively. The aim of the study by Maseka and colleagues was to characterize the clinical features and microbial etiologies of non-community acquired pneumonia in subjects who were not mechanically ventilated to assess the impact of microbiological investigation on management. 
Their results suggest that integrating the microbiological investigation into the complex clinical diagnostic workup of patients suspected of non-community acquired pneumonia is important. Pilarzak evaluated the safety of percutaneous dilational tracheostomy in subjects who underwent thoracic organ transplantation. They found that percutaneous dilational tracheostomy could be safely performed on subjects with acute respiratory failure after thoracic organ transplantation. The aim of the study by Kaglayan and colleagues was to assess serious complications related to convex probe endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration and determine the complication rate in a large group of subjects. They found that convex probe endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration was generally a safe procedure. Serious complications, including infections, are encountered albeit rarely. Thus, all precautions should be taken for complications before and during this procedure. This month, we also publish a systematic review on complications of prone positioning during extracorporeal membrane oxygenation for respiratory failure. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.